Have you ever been guilty of TMI? Yes, you have. <laughs> Too much information, right? You ever been guilty of this? Somebody asks you a question, and maybe they ask you, how was your, did you sleep well last night? And you say, well, you know, the dog has the mange, and it woke me up last night scratching, and I just kept seeing the flakes just kind of going off in my mind. And then, you know, and then just, uh, then I got up, and, and my stomach was gurgling, you know, I was looking for the Maalox, and, and, uh, and, and I, stepped on, I stepped on the Lego that I told somebody to move that didn't, and then I was bleeding all over the place, and they're looking at you like a fuse that's burning down, and they're starting to step back a little bit, you know, they're looking at you like, like I don't know what your problem is, but I bet it's hard to pronounce, right? <laughs> so, have you ever been guilty of too much information? Of course you have. And sometimes when we think about sharing our faith, we think, oh gosh, as soon as I open my mouth about anything I believe, Right? It's going to feel like that moment. <laughs> You're going to get that sort of stepping back. You see what, what's, what's, what's happening even over the past week? People are so sure about one side or another in, in, in our politics. And they weigh in. And if you were to be on one side or another of this, so sure of one side or another, and you were to speak out, how that conversation would go. How do you think that conversation would go? Not very well. See, even the room got quiet. <laughs> I haven't even weighed in on one side or another. You see? And so you think about expressing outwardly your belief. That's a private thing. A lot of times we think that's just private. That's so personal. We can't, we can't say that out loud or it's going to create a moment like, ooh. How do we share our deepest held beliefs, the foundation of what is meaningful and purposeful to us? How do we share that with other people without blowing up the relationship or even just the conversation? How do we do that? The answer that we'll see as we look at Romans 1 is to connect connect. From the Word of God, Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 11, going through verse 18. For I long to see you. Isn't that, isn't that nice? That's nice. Anybody ever said that to you? I long to see you. That's so warm and personal. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware that I have often intended to come to you, but thus have far been pre so far have been prevent uh, prevented. In order that, why, why does he want to go to Rome? So that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power 
of God, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Final verse. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godliness, ungodliness, and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. May God bless us today through the reading of this, his holy word. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, bless this word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to believe it, that through our hands and feet we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, are you with me? Are you with me? How do we express our faith? How do we share the, the foundational purpose and meaning of life without blowing up the conversation, without blowing up the relationship. I said the answer is to connect. Do you see, did you see the personal connection going on here? Let's look back through this, this verse. Keep your Bibles open if you brought them. And let's go back through this and let's see, let's take a look at the you part of this, how you connect. How they connect with you, how they connect with who, and how the why of it all, how that connects. I want you to be able to hear this, understand it, walk out with it. You, who, and why. That's it this morning. Let's take a look. First, the you. If you want to connect, you have to connect. You have to connect. You have to connect first. If you want to talk about things that matter most, the things that, are, that, are, um, that, that call us to a place under the news and sports and weather... Right? Underneath the news and sports. How's the weather today? Oh, yeah, that's great. Anybody can talk about that, right? Oh, do you, you see how badly uh, Georgia blew out uh, my poor volunteers yesterday? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Saw that. Yeah. Anybody can talk about that? Maybe that's a little sensitive. <laughs> I saw a Tennessee, I see a Tennessee volunteer over there. It's a little sensitive. But even more vulnerable is to talk about those things that lie under the news and sports and weather. Even more vulnerable are the things that we believe, our faith. And so if you want to connect, you have to connect first. You've got to go first. You've got to be transparent. You've got to be willing to be vulnerable. You first. You want to talk to somebody about their faith? You want to share faith with them? Then, then, then you personally have to have a sense of, of vulnerability. Becky, Becky Pippert says this. She, she says, the problem stems from our great difficulty in believing that God is glorified in our utter humanity rather than in our spiritually programmed responses. Our problem in evangelism is not that we don't have enough information. You ever feel uh, intimidated that you don't know it all and so you can't share anything? You ever feel intimidated that because you don't know it all, you can't share anything? She says the problem is that we it, the problem with evangelism is not, not that we don't have enough information, it is that we don't know how to be ourselves. We forget we're called to be witnesses to what we have seen 
and no. Not to what we don't know. What, no, what's she talking about? No. To know what? Not about God, but to know him personally. What's your experience with God been like? Do you know him personally? You know, the, let me illustrate. There, there's, um, the experts out there say that if you want to write, like if you're going to do a blog, if you're going to have a business and have a blog, uh, let's say you want to launch a small business and uh, you want to you put uh, out on social media regularly you know, some kind of, of uh, uh, publicity that connects with people personally, that you can be an expert, okay, if you have a degree or you're a New York Times bestseller or you were on Oprah last week, whatever, you know, you can be an expert, right? Or you can be a Sherpa, okay? You can be a, you can be a sage, right? an expert, you can be a Sherpa, somebody who's gone to the summit and come back down and said, you know, it was hard, I climbed it up, I climbed up to the top and this is what I saw and you come back down to base camp and you share what, you can be a, a Sherpa or you can be a fellow struggler. Those are the three kind of categories that, uh, that experts say that if you want to launch a small business and you want to connect with people, you can be a sage, a Sherpa or a fellow struggler. What does Paul sound like here? What does he sound like? Verse 11, For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I think he sounds like he's starting from a place of alongside. Doesn't it sound like he's coming alongside? He's not, I mean, there are places when Paul asserts himself, but it's often to correct somebody who's going way in the other direction. But when he's trying to encourage somebody, when he's trying to edify them or, or connect with them personally, you see him coming alongside as a fellow struggler. And he's validating the other person. He's not saying, I know it, you don't. Right? So often, so often, we think that we're trying to share something to win an argument. Instead, we've got to build people up. We've got to be willing. If we're going to build people up, we've got to connect with them on a level that says, I'm human too. I'm a fellow struggler. I've had this experience, and I'd like to share it with you, but I'd like to hear from you too. Tell me about your life, what's going on with you? Chesterton puts it this way. He says, he says um, modesty or humility, modesty or humility has settled on a place where it doesn't belong. It's settled in a place of conviction where it was never meant to be. He says, we were meant to be doubtful about ourselves, <laughs> but undoubting about the truth. You see, that's... That, all of that, what, what Chesterton is saying, is captured in verse 11. He's saying that we may be mutually encouraged. He's coming alongside. There's a humility in that. He's not lording over them his position, right? I mean, he helped launch this church. He's not lording over him his position. He's saying he's coming alongside. But then he says, he goes on to say, that we may reap a harvest, that we may engage people in the faith and the things that matter most. You see, the conviction and humility is there, but it's in the right place to be 
humble about ourselves, even vulnerable, even sharing our own struggles. That connects. And when we connect on that level, then, then people don't get defensive. They don't think, gosh, they're willing to, they, they can have ears. They don't feel like they're put in a corner, like you're going to school them on something. I mean, even if, even if you ask somebody to help you with like changing a tire, doesn't our ego start kicking in? I mean, how trivial is that? But, and then they, they start telling you, uh, you know what, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, I always tell, I always teach my sons how to teach, uh, you know, how to change a tire. I mean, did your dad never teach you how to change a tire? You know, and you're sitting there feeling like a total idiot because you asked for help change the tire. I mean, we get defensive when somebody starts taking even the most trivial knowledge and lording it over us. Paul doesn't do that. And so if we're going to share our faith without blowing up the relationship, we've got to be willing to be vulnerable. We've got to be a fellow struggler. We've got to say this is a, for mutual encouragement. We've got to recognize that we can connect with people on the level of their humanity because we have a humanity to connect with, a broken one, a broken one. I had somebody share something with me recently out of town who just, they, they were so uncertain about sharing this with me. And I, I said, you know, that's just an illustration of, of what we're all dealing with. And you, just the, the sigh that came out just for saying, you know, I'm human too. It's powerful. You have to get this right. If you want to share your faith, you have to get this part right. You have to be willing to come alongside somebody and be vulnerable. Be a fellow struggler, not even a Sherpa. Certainly not a sage calling out to them from some high place. But down in the valley where we struggle. That's how you begin. Second is this. You have to connect with who first. It's you first and then them, right? You go first. You're willing to be vulnerable. You're willing to be transparent about your struggles and, and, and to begin to connect on that level. Then it's who first, not what. It's who first. You know, the question that, that, that everything hinges around is this. Jesus asks, this is the question of the ages. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? I know we all have questions. I have questions. I love questions, by the way. I've got, I've got the world's most neglected blog about questions. Faith and doubt, right? And when I was at, at, at First Orlando, I had a little thing called Ask Tim, and people would just throw questions at him, just random questions. And I, I kept hearing the same set of questions, you know? Why do bad things happen to good people? That kind of thing. What about people who have not heard? And these things, these kinds of questions, these what questions, those things can, you can hold the universe hostage to your questions, and you can say, Lord, until you answer all these questions, I'm not paying any attention to what you have to say about who Jesus is. What about you? I mean, how do you like to be known? Do you like other people telling you how you like to be known? I mean, don't you like to be in charge a little bit about revealing who you are? And don't you know a little bit of something about yourself? <laughs> don't you know where to start and the stories you like to tell? And of course you do. It's who first, then what? You know, it's true in every, every relationship, uh, you know, the, 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 on our staff here. I, I uh, you know, I, I kind of wear them out with, we deal with stuff, all right? Right? I mean, it's like, get it out there, put it on the table, right? Let's work through this thing. And it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's not to be confrontational, it's to keep the counts clear, right? Because it's so much easier to function. It's so much easier to make decisions when the relationship is right. You have to get the relationship right. 
That's what who first is all about. Then what? And when you have the relationship right, then you can come around the table and you can talk about all kinds of what. But unless the relationship is right, you can't deal with all those other questions. And what's happening here in this passage is Paul's making these kind of subtle references, both to the Jews and to the Greeks. And the Jews, they wanted everything under the control by their effort, right? You know that, right? So through the Jewish system, of a uh, religious system, they were going to get to God by their effort. The Greeks were going to think their way to God. Right? They were going to have the right thoughts. They were going to ask the right questions. Where do we come from? What's wrong with us? How do we fix it? Those are the three great philosophical questions of all time. And, and the pathway that, that the Greeks wanted to take was a pathway of philosophy, a pathway of reason. Right? I mean, what if I came out with a list of reasons that I wanted to, to marry Beth? All right? Well, I like your hair, and you know, we see things eye to eye, and you start to think. So, so I'm, I, maybe this is my sales pitch to get married. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to read you my letter that I wrote to her when I proposed to her. I'd never read it to you. Because it doesn't look like a list of what's. It connects on a level of who. And God is saying to us, don't think, Greeks, don't think that, that you can think your way to God. Jews, don't think you can, don't think that you can work your way to God. The, the, the reference here is, is that, that, that there is a who that is a stumbling stone, a scandal on. We get the word scandal, right? And the scandal is grace. Scandal is the gospel. And so we trip over Jesus, and we need to get out of the way so that other people can trip over him. You say, that doesn't sound very pleasant. Well, it's not. When you come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which is what people need to do, they, they, they need to be convicted of the fact that they're broken. Didn't you? I sure did. It was not pleasant to see who I really was and what my real need was. But it was so freeing. So freeing to stop trying to think my way out of it. So freeing to, try to stop trying to work my way past all of my past. That's the freedom that comes. But it's a scandal at first, and you have to trip over it. You have to get over yourself. And so we have to be able to get ourselves out of the way by being vulnerable, by connecting with people as a fellow struggler. We have to get out of the way and let people deal with Jesus, not us. Now, I remember there was a book... Uh, uh, called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And it's a great book. Really, it's a great book. But it's not the place you start. Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It was written by Josh McDowell, and, and it was sort of a left-brain approach to why uh, an airtight argument for why you're an idiot if you don't believe. I mean, he doesn't put it that way, but I'm just sort of, I'm sort of saying this is how people used it. No. No one's ever come to Jesus because they lost an argument, Okay. Nobody's ever given their life up because they said, oh, yeah, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm dumb, you're smart. Yes, I guess I'll follow Jesus. It doesn't happen that way. Have you ever seen it happen that way? I've never seen it happen that way. What they need to do is they need to deal with Jesus, not you and your arguments. It's good to have them. It's important to, I love apologetics. I love it. I love the idea of that, that, that you can think your way through these different issues. I love that. But that's not where we start. That's why, that's, why, that's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
because it is the power. See, when we get out of the way and we help people deal with themselves and their real need for, for Christ, their real need for a redeemer, not for better answers, not for all the what's, when we get out of the way and people have to deal with themselves and they have to deal with God, now we're giving the Holy Spirit a role in their life and not trying to take it on ourselves. See, the pressure is off. Be you. Let them connect with you as a fellow struggler. And then help them deal with the question of the ages. Who do you say that I am, Jesus asks us. And as you're sharing how, how that experience has affected you, that, that there's somebody in the driver's seat of your life and it's not you, and what it was like to move to the passenger seat, right? Or however you want to put it. Then you help them deal with, with Jesus and not with you and your, your arguments. C.S. Lewis said, you know, I've, I've, I've never, how do you put it? He said, he said uh, I've never looked more unkindly at some doctrine than after I just successfully defended it, <laughs> right? Even your best arguments are thin. And so, so you have to help people deal with Jesus and with themselves and not with you as some expert. And finally this, we help people deal with the gospel first by connecting with them on a personal level as strugglers, dealing with the who of who Jesus is and not our best arguments. But finally, we also have to help them understand why. Why are you a follower of Christ? Why are you here this morning? Why do you call yourself a Christian? Can you get to the place where you can, you can zero in on the difference that grace has made in your life? Do you know why you believe? Not just what you believe, but do you know why you believe it? Until you understand why, like the real need that you have, then it's going to be difficult for you to connect with other people at the level of their real need. We can't lead people where we haven't gone. We can't share something we don't have. And so you and I, every one of us, we're going to share our faith in an effective way that connects with people. We have to understand why is it that we believe? Not just the what's. Not just the list of doctrines that we believe, or not just the, the, what, the, the, the things that, that make sense of Christianity, but why we believe it on a personal level. Why do I believe it? Is there a change in your life? Is there something that's, that, that, is there a before and after? I'm not saying that you have a particular moment in time. Some people have a moment in time. Some people have a season of conviction. That, that more describes me. I'm more like a Timothy than a Paul, Right? Huh, imagine that. But more like a, I, I kind of came to Christ over a series of, of, of a season. I came under conviction in my teen years. I want to share that with you next week. And I want you to bring somebody. I'm just going to share how I came to Christ. I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to share the stories that turned me from that direction to this direction. Is that some big dramatic thing? But it, there's a season and there's some stories that made a real difference in my life because I put my trust in Christ. I want you to bring somebody next week. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to bring the hammer down. I'm not going to try to say, okay, everybody come forward. You know, all right, come forward. You've got to make a decision, right? I'm not going to do that. Although that would be appropriate. 
Why would that be appropriate? Let me, let me read to you why that would be appropriate. You see this last verse that I threw in here? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What's that about, the wrath of God? See, this is what people don't want to hear about. They're like, wrathful God? Yeah, I'm not sure, right? That may be TMI, TMI moment, right? Wrath of God? Yeah, okay. Let's unpack that for a minute. We have to understand why we believe. And part of the why is that there is a real need under your felt needs. There's a real need. A real human brokenness that if it's not dealt with, there's, something, there, there's some serious consequences ahead. Let me read to you this quotation. Human love, human love, like the love of a father for a son, the more he loves him, the more he hates in him the drunkard, the liar, the traitor. Anger isn't the opposite of love, okay? Hear that verse again, verse 18, wrath. Is that the opposite of love? No. You know what's the opposite of love? Hate. What, what's the worst kind of hate? What do you hate to be, what, what do you, you hate it when people do to you? Ignore you, right? Don't you hate to be ignored? Like nobody even notices that you're there? You see, the wrath of God is God paying attention to humanity. The wrath of God is paying attention to your brokenness. The wrath of God is, is dealing with the problem that is a human problem that every one of us has. The wrath of God is love. It's tough love. But it is getting in there with you, into the mess, and dealing with your difficult, deep, real problem. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is, and the final form of hate is indifference. God is not indifferent to the brokenness of humanity. You see, when, when we recognize, because of the conviction of our sin, that there is a real problem, that all of the other questions that I have, I mean, I've got a stack of three-by-five cards questions that I've collected from people over the years. You know, did Adam have a belly button? You know, you know, kind of question. I mean, all kinds of fun questions and, and hard questions, right? All those questions that we, we hold on to. And, and this is part of my, 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 own, my, own, my own journey of faith. It's like I had all these questions. Like, I want, look, look, God, I want you to answer. Once all these boxes are checked, okay, then I'll deal with Jesus. No. See, Jesus came to deal with that very place of our brokenness. That's why the cross is so, so brutal. Because our sin is so, so real and our brokenness is so, so beyond our ability to deal with. But that's the good news. The good news is that God came into the mess. He got into the mess with you. The good news is that, that when you sense, when you begin to hand over the, the power and the control of that, when you get out of the driver's seat and get into the passenger seat, that you begin to experience a freedom from your brokenness. And that experience you can share with other people without blowing up the relationship. You can do this. If grace is real in your life, then learn how to put it into the English language in a way that connects. But I, I have to tell you, I have to remind you, 
You're being sent even as much as Jesus is sent. And so there's a certain dying to self that happens here. To be vulnerable, to come alongside somebody and say, you know, I'm broken too. They may reject you. They may say, oh, well, I don't have that problem. Right? I've seen it all week long how nobody has a problem except the people who are in the hot seat. Right? All the rest of us are perfect. Right? No, we're all recovering Pharisees. Okay? Every one of us. And so you have to have that conviction that your confidence is not in you or in your appearance or in your, your reputation, but to be able to come alongside somebody and be vulnerable and be somebody who doesn't have it all figured out. Connect there. Help them then to deal with the question of the age. Who do you say that I am? But you have to know why you believe it. And you have to be able to share the real experience of grace in your life where you were going one direction and now another. You want to connect without blowing up the relationship? Connect with the, with the you. You first. Then them. Who first? Then what? But deal with your why. Let's pray together. Holy God, how we thank you that you have presented yourself to us again and again and again. Throughout time and history drawing our stories into your story. Every one of us has one. We all have a story of tripping. We all have a story of brokenness. We all have a story of recognizing that we're not the people yet we need to be. But we also, those of us who know you, we have a story of growing beyond those things, of making some progress up that hill. God, equip us more and more to share that simple message of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.